I want to talk to you today about refugees. Before we talk about the most famous refugee in the history of mankind, before we step into Simber and talk about that, I want to spend a little time talking to you about some modern day refugees. And to do that, to begin, let's open our Bibles to the book of Kings, 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning in verse 8. 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning in verse 8. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? He's asking, who's the betrayer that keeps telling him our secrets? One of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So the king said, go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there, went out there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, alas, my master, what shall we do? Let me pause here, brothers and sisters, and ask us, does this sound like a potentially scary situation? Would we be alarmed? We'd be alarmed if in our current world there were those coming from Syria that potentially wanted to harm us, that wanted to kill us? Would any of us pause, have pause over that? Would this make us nervous? Would we begin to ask questions? What shall we do with these Syrians that are coming? What shall we do with what is taking place? Would we ask that question? And I wonder what would our answers be? I'm not addressing what our answer would be as a nation today. I want to ask the question, what would our answer be as followers of Jesus Christ, as Christians. Verse 16 of chapter 6. So he answered, this is Elisha, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Now Elisha said to them, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. So it was when they had come to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men and they, that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw. And there they were inside Samaria. There they were inside Samaria. Elisha and his loyal 
uh, and, and those loyal to Elisha and the people of Israel now are in control. They're now in control. They now have their enemies exactly where they want them. They now have their enemies exactly as, as, they, as they need him. And Elisha's servant speaks. And he speaks out of human nature. And he speaks out of human understanding. He speaks out of, out of human desire. He says in verse 21, Now when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I kill them? And then he asks again, Shall I kill them? Hear the anticipation in his voice. Shall I kill them? Hear the enthusiasm for revenge, the, the, the lust for opportunity. Shall I kill them? They're within my grasp. Elisha spoke. Elisha spoke. You shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captain with your sword and your bow? Set food and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. Set food and water before them. Wait a second. Our enemies can be thwarted. Our enemies can be kept at bay. Our enemies can be annihilated. And we're not going to kill them? Elisha, you, you have another plan? Is he going to imprison them? Is he going to put them in internment camps? Is he going to register them? What is he going to do? Elisha, what is your plan? Set food and water before them. Okay, you're taking a humane stance. Wait a second, that's not the end of your plan? You want to let them go? You want to let them go. That they may eat and drink and go to their master. And then verse 23. Listen to this language. Then he prepared a great feast for them. And after they ate and drank, he sent them away and they went to their master. So the bands of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. They came no more into the land of Israel. And you may say, well, there you go. And everyone lived happily ever after. It'd be great to have a prophet amongst us that could tell us how to live happily ever after. And the band of Syrians came no more. Happily ever after. Until just one verse Later, verse 24, and it happened after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, okay, this was the guy who sent the raiders in the first place, his army in the first place, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria, the city they had just been released from. They now come back and they're surrounding it. They're surrounding it. They seized Samaria. Now let me pause and ask the question. Was Elisha justified in showing compassion towards the Syrians even though it opened the door for the Syrians to return in full strength to attack Samaria once again? Is the risk of compassion justified even if it may mean death for some later? 
Three verses earlier, Elisha put food and water before these people. Then he prepared a great feast. And now Ben-Hadad, with those same soldiers that Elisha let go, that Elisha let free, that Elisha gave compassion to, with those same soldiers, Ben-Hadad comes back now and surrounds the city. And there was a siege so great. The siege was so great in Samaria that the Bible tells us that people began to boil their own babies and eat them to live. So was Elisha justified in showing compassion, even though it risked danger down the road? Even though it risked danger down the road. The Monday following the attacks on Paris, I was taking the day off. We had just come through our evangelistic series, and I was told Christina, I said, you know, I've never gone on a date with Levi, my youngest boy. I've been with uh, the two Older boys, we go out all the time, but the youngest has been very much a mama's boy, and now finally he's, uh, he's still very much a mama's boy, but he's finally appreciating daddy somewhat. And I said, we're gonna, I want to take Levi on a date. Landon and, and Dayton will be at school, and so just Levi and I will spend a day together. And she said to me, this was Friday the 13th, she said to me, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I think we'll go down, we'll take the metro, and we'll go down to the National Zoo. We both love the metro, we both love the zoo, we'll be... We'll go down there and we'll have fun and we'll, there's a Subway right down there. We'll have some Subway sandwiches. Levi and I love our Subway sandwiches. And, uh, and uh, he's not so into Jimmy John's yet, but he likes Subway. Um, I'll get him there though, don't worry. So that was the plan on Friday. By Monday morning, Levi and I did not go to the National Zoo. We did not take the metro down. We went north towards Columbia. And we went and had pizza and got a shake. And that was what we did. I won't lie, even though I believe that the terrorists are smarter than that, and I don't believe they would attack when everyone and everything is watching immediately after something still. We didn't go because I was a bit nervous about riding the metro. I was nervous about taking Levi down someplace into D.C. In Visalia, I would never even thought about that personal safety. I mean, it would happen somewhere else. It's not going to happen in Visalia or anywhere like that. But where we live now, I have to admit that my mind pauses. I've talked to several members in here, and they said, every time I get on the metro, I'm scared. Some members have asked me, how do we handle all this? What do we do with all this? Where we live now, I do give pause. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to be very honest with you. Do I believe that ISIS, this is not much need for honesty, do I believe that ISIS wants to sell over here from Syria and Iraq and destroy us and attack us and harm us? I absolutely believe this. Do I believe they will or at least they will try? Honestly, yes, I do. Do I think where we live puts us in greater risk? Yes, I do. Do I believe that allowing Syrian refugees or, or, or refugees of, of that maybe mindset, do I believe that this could maybe increase the likelihood of an attack? Honestly, yes, I do. 
Does this mean we should keep out refugees? Does this mean that we should withhold some compassion? As a parent, as a citizen, as a frail and sinful human being, I say, yes, I do. But, but, my Christianity and my faith in Jesus Christ is to supersede all fear, all nationalism, all political perspective. And my Christianity tells me that compassion is always right, even if it increases or even if it opens the door to greater threat to me. Now hear me, I'm not talking about as a political leader, I'm not giving the advice to the government, I'm talking about as Christians, as Seventh-day Adventist Christians. I speak as what my response, what I believe our vocal response as believers in Jesus Christ should be. Was Elisha justified to risk compassion? Let us ask Paul, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Chapter 12, beginning in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. We are to let God deal with the consequences, folks, in our hearts and in our minds. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals on a fire on his head. Do not, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, we could foolishly say to ourselves, well, Paul, Paul, It's easy for you to say. You don't understand what we're going through. But remember where Paul was and what Paul went through when he was writing these things. He was imprisoned unjustly. He's being held captive. And yet, what is he saying? What is he saying? Overcome evil with good. And by the way, folk, the refugees are not our enemies. They're not our enemies. They're not our enemies. Elisha did. He fed his enemies. He gave his enemies a drink. What Elisha did was not simply because he was part of a theocracy. What Elisha did was part of being loyal and committed to the one true God and showing compassion. Overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. If we feed our enemies and provide drink for our enemies, how much more so, how much more so those whom just happen to be from quote unquote the wrong country? How much more so should we feed them and care for them 
Was Elisha justified in his compassion even though it opened the door to even greater threat and danger? James chapter one. Let's ask James. James chapter one. After the book of Hebrews. James chapter one and verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. I'm sure, folks, that within... The refugees, there are plenty of orphans and widows that we could visit in their trouble and that we could assist in their trouble. But then notice, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Keep oneself unspotted from the world. What hit me this week at the heart of of this text, what hit me this week is, is, is the idea of keeping oneself unspotted from the world. We could think about this from a, from a sin angle and all types of things, but, 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 but I was thinking of is right now when the world is screaming hate, right now when the world is screaming fear, right now when the world is screaming isolationism, who will stand up and scream out on behalf of compassion? Who? Bloomberg Poll reported this week that 53%, 54%, 53 point something percent want to keep all Syrian refugees out, all of them. We have Syrians here even in our midst. They want to keep all Syrian refugees out. Another 28% want to allow only Christian refugees into the country. That means that 81% of our nation in some way is crying out for less compassion in this world. They're saying now is not the time to be compassionate. Now is the time. Now is the time to withhold our compassion and take care of us. Governments will do what governments will do. I cannot claim to have understanding for the decisions that they have put before them and that that they must make. I, I recognize governments are governments, but I'm talking about us as Christians, our voices, our tone, our language, the words we speak. Do we keep ourselves unspotted and do we become the voice This speaks out on behalf of compassion for all people, for all people, even if it means opening the door to further danger, even if it means opening the door to further danger. We've heard from Paul, we've heard from James, but but what about Jesus? Jesus, what do you have to say to us about this subject? What do you have to say to us about this subject? Matthew chapter 25 What Jody read for us this morning, Matthew chapter 25. It's funny, we were handing out boxes this week to some folk, and I was here with my boys, and and, uh, you know, they get their moments where they don't want to help and they just want to run around. I said, we're here to help, we're here to serve people. Could not get anything to stick with them. Could not get them to do this. So I took them into my office. I didn't spank them with my hand, but I did pull out my Bible. And I read to them, Matthew 25, what I'm going to read to you today. And I said nothing else. And neither of them stopped working the rest of the time. Amen? Matthew 25. And then I heard later, Landon saying to Christina, Mommy, we don't want to be goats, so we help today. (laughs) 
Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 31. Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. And by the way, folks, when the Bible speaks of being a stranger, it's not talking about us in our context where we have a stranger that maybe walks in off the street and comes and decides to visit our church one Sabbath. The Bible, when speaking of a stranger, is talking about someone foreign, someone different, from a, someone who is not from, from their land, someone outside of themselves. And you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger, a foreigner and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when do we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, I was a foreigner and you did not take me in. I was naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Are we the sheep? Are we gonna go home to our moms and say, we don't wanna be the goats, mom? Here's something I noticed this week about this text. Jesus includes the hungry, okay. Jesus includes the naked, okay. The thirsty, okay. The sick, okay. The stranger, the foreigner, the refugee. 81% would say not okay. But what else Jesus includes here is he says, the criminal. Now, I don't think we should spiritualize this, folks. I don't think we should spiritualize this and say, oh, well, Jesus is only talking about the criminals who were unjustly in prison. Only the criminals who were, who were wrongly accused and really are innocent people. Jesus is only talking about the white-collar criminals, you know, those who have evaded taxes here and there. Let's not spiritualize this, folks. Jesus saying, is saying we're to show compassion towards those we deem as the bad guys as well. To those we deem as the bad guys as well. I was blessed in Visalia to have a number of prisoners that were members of our church. They would listen to us on the local radio station and there was about 30 of them that gathered around and they would be baptized there in the prison after hearing and going through our messages and doing things. And I considered them members and families just like 
the people that sat in the pew. Jesus was not spiritualizing this and only saying those types of things. She's talking about everyone. Jesus, why are we to show compassion to the refugees? Do you have anything else to say, Jesus, to us? Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five. He has more to say to us. Verse 43. Verses 43 and 45. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Because listen to what God does for those who act as enemies towards him. He says, I make the sun rise on the evil and on the good. And I send rain on the just and on the what? Unjust. Jesus, why are we to show compassion to the refugees? Some of them who, who may be against us. Why, Jesus? Because Jesus says, because I do it. I bless them. And I am just towards them. And I call you to do the same. Why, Jesus? Because I do it. And you are my people. And you are my church. And your first principle is not fear, is not politics, is not nationalism. Your highest ideal is the principles of the scripture. But Jesus, what if it means risking our, our own lives? Well, Jesus had a story for that. There was a certain man that went down to, from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. This is found in the book of Luke. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion so he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on him oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. I like the question that Cindy Tooch on Facebook asked this week. Was it risky for the good Samaritan to help the traveler who had been robbed and beaten. She then says, the bandits could have been hiding behind a rock. And I'd add to what she said, it was also a risk for the Samaritan to help an Israelite. If the Samaritan was in Israel's territory, he could have been falsely accused of being the one to attack the refugee, to attack the local. If the Israelite was in the Samaritan's territory, however, he would be questioned, for why would you help this refugee. You might remember the story of the woman at the well who is a Samaritan, and when Jesus asked her for help, she's hesitant. Why? Because we're from two different places. Why? She's hesitant. Jesus adds at the close of the story, so which of, you, of these three do you think was the neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he says to him, he who showed him mercy, or he who showed him mercy, compassion. 
Then the very clear command. Jesus says, in spite of the risk, in spite of the cost, in spite of the fears, in spite of our politics, the biblical principles must be the ideal that trumps all other views for us as Christians. And the ideal is clear on how we are to treat those that are different than us, that we may see things differently than us. Jesus then said to these people, after he told them this story about this refugee helping out an Israelite, he told them this story, he said, go and do what? Likewise, go, Jesus says, and be just as compassionate as the refugee was towards this man. Go and be just as compassionate. Go and be just as compassionate. My mom told me a story only about a year and a half or two years ago. I've never heard it before in my life. I was actually quite surprised by it because we were friends with this family for a time when I was a kid. We were living in Provo, Utah. We were living across the street from an Iranian family. Their youngest son was my best friend. We couldn't speak many of the same words, but we figured out a way to get along. You gotta love kids. They don't let language become an impediment to friendships. The Iranian family, though, wasn't just any Iranian family, as we soon found out. The father had been a military leader high up in the Shah's regime, And he had fled as a refugee during the Islamic Revolution and now is hiding out in little Provo, Utah. Just us Adventists. We were surrounded by Muslims, Mormons, and there was us Adventists right in the middle of them. We might have been the refugee. In the early 80s, when this was taking place, there was still a great unrest and danger. This man's life was actually being threatened. It was discovered that the oldest daughter had been in had, had basically opposed her father's political worldview. She had supported the Islamic revolution. And this had been discovered. How do we know this? Because one afternoon, a woman, as my mom tells the story, came bursting into our house screaming. She was screaming in the language of, of Persia, but managed to get out just a few words. Managed to get out a few words that my mom understood. Help, kill. And she was pointing across the road. My mom burst out of the house. She burst out of the house and ran across the street into Zaza's house. And there she stood face to face with an Iranian military leader who had this girl by the hair and was beating her to death. My mom stepped forward. My mom stepped forward and said to him, stop now. He responded to her that she had dishonored them and that she deserved to die. And my mom stood toe to toe. He yelled at her to get out. She yelled at him to knock it off. She moved closer. He continued to threat to hold this girl thrashing her around by her hair. My mom refusing to back down. He refusing to back down. Eventually, as it always happens, mom wins. My mom stepped in, got the girl away from him, took her to safety. Here's what strikes me about this. Why do I tell you the story? Because from what I can recall, my mom never showed a lack of compassion towards that family. 
My mom never once said to me, don't go anywhere near Zaza. His family is dangerous. My mom never said, we're not going to have anything to do with them. We got to move. There's people trying to kill these people. We're in danger. I never heard my mom speak one harsh word about anyone from the Middle East or anyone of the Islamic faith. Even though she has seen up close and in person the extremism of radical Islam and what their beliefs say that they can do. Yet, she always showed compassion. Even when there was evidence in her life to say do the opposite. Folks, we have seen the evidence of extremism. We know what is possible. But we, as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, must embrace the biblical principle over the principle of fear, over the principle of potential danger, over the, the potential, over our political views, over our political votes, over our political associations. We must risk compassion. We must set food and water before the people God brings to our land. We must be the voice that calls for compassion that calls for compassion when 81% is saying, let's put compassion aside. Who will we be? What dictates our thoughts? What dictates our moral compass? We pull out your connection cards. They're on the back of your connection card. Fill out the front, give us as much information as you're comfortable with, as you're thinking about joining this church. Hopefully you're still thinking about joining this church. We'd love to have you be part of our family. We'd love to connect with you. We're about to head into the Christmas season. We're about to talk about the most famous refugee in the history of mankind. But before we do so, I, wanna, I want us to think about where our hearts, our own hearts are at. Towards not just the refugee that died for us, but also towards the refugee that died for those we may say need to stay out. Where are our hearts at? My response to today's sermon, I understand that as a Christian, biblical principles are to direct my beliefs and relationships toward others over personal safety, personal feelings, and personal politics. Do you believe that? Do you agree with that? Do you affirm that? That biblical principles trump all those things. Next box. Therefore, I choose to risk compassion. Therefore, I choose to risk compassion. I want that to be my choice. I'm nervous. My wife calls me Mr. P. The P stands for paranoid. I'm nervous. I'm a paranoid person. I sometimes think of the worst extreme that can happen. 
Thus, I don't go to the National Zoo on a Monday after the Paris attacks. But folks, I must put that aside as a believer in Jesus Christ and say I will risk it all to be as compassionate to others as Jesus has been to me and as Jesus is to them. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, please, in spite of our fears, in spite of our concerns, in spite of our political viewpoints, help all of that to be trumped by the love and the compassion of Jesus. And may we extend it to all, even if it means risking danger for ourselves. Lord, help us to trust you enough to risk being compassionate to all people. In your name we pray. Amen.